Do you ever, anybody remember the first time they did a school project and somebody else did not work on the project with them? They were basically carrying the school project. Anybody was the person who didn't do the school project? Go ahead, put your hands up there. Anybody remember that there was somebody that you thought you might be a friends with and you ended up like not being friends? Maybe they were the bully in your class. I remember having a teacher that did not like them. They said they didn't. They said they did, but you swear on a Bible that teacher did not like you. Sometimes sending kids to school can be a lesson in itself, and some of them are hard lessons. In fact, some of the lessons we learn are really, really hard lessons. We just spent the week down in the Keys celebrating being married for 25 years, and um, I can tell you some of the lessons I learned were not the easy lessons. They were the hard lessons. We took a picture down by the southernmost point. That was our only like touristy day. We were just riding bike around there. We took a picture and my wife has this cute little 25 years up in, you know, and this couple asked us, they said, 25 years, we're gonna be married two years. What's the secret? And my mouth was quiet, you know? And I think my wife's advice was like, just marry early, you know, just get it done early and then you'll last and you'll get to 25. You know, I learned often harder lessons about how to be a loyal, faithful servant husband by those nights where I have to sleep on the couch than those nights where I'm pretending to be a pastor. I learned how to be an honest and caring husband, caring for somebody that lives in my house by those times when the words out of my mouth makes the most important person in my life cry rather than all those little books we read in premarital counseling. Sometimes we learn by hard lessons. You may have had that. When was the first time you realized that people maybe don't care about your problems? That maybe your boss doesn't care. They just want you to show up to work. When was the first time you realized that people may steal from you? When was the first time you realized that good winning is a long-term goal and maybe there's some short-term minuses along the way? Life's lessons are pretty hard and hard to find sometimes. It's that way with faith. Some of the things you're going to learn are easy. They just pump you up, say, hey, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be great. Talk about this in the Old Testament. Prophets that come to you and say, your dreams are going to come true. And God says, those may not be my prophets. Because what I may have for you is 40 years in a desert. And you came out not with people that have an idea of God, but you come out as the people of God. Following Jesus is going to be so much fun until you reach the cross. And those three days of loss and anguish. Sometimes it's the hard lessons that teach us the most about life. We're going to look in John chapter 6. So if you want to get there, we're going to walk through it kind of verse by verse. I'd encourage you if you have your own Bible to make sure that you bring it when you're going through stuff in church, but also to make sure that you kind of know where God's leading you and you can walk through it. If you, if you walk through John chapter 6, one of the things that you know about John in particular is it's not chronological. So Mark, Matthew, Luke are chronological. They're following through day by day. John is thematic. It's like talking about saying, oh, my wife is so patient. And then you share three stories about your wife being patient. It may not be in chronological order. John's that way. As you turn from the fifth chapter to the sixth chapter, you actually chronologically, based on the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you have a year break. John's like, I don't need to fill in anything during that year. 
But here's a cool thing that happened in the span of 48 hours. That's what John chapter 6 is. John chapter 6, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's this 48 hours where he's sharing there's all these awesome stuff that goes on. And for us on this side of faith, it seems pretty awesome. It starts in the first couple of verses. You can probably follow along. There's probably a title in your Bible that has this on there that it says the feeding of the 5,000. Your Bible may have that marked in there. So they're like, hey, if you don't know what's going on, dummy, we're going to title this. That wasn't in the original. John just sharing, look at all these cool things that are happening. Jesus feeds the 5,000. That's a miracle of provision, of saying, do you trust God with your daily bread? When I first became a Christian, when I was saved, it was that same week, as far as I know, that I didn't have any money. And I had to trust God to provide me literally with food. I think I shared this with you before. People walk by and say, hey, I got an extra half a sub. Do you want it? And I'd be like, I guess. Then give it to me. You know, once you trust God to provide, you don't need to trust that anymore. It's not, it's not a faith thing. It's a belief thing. God will provide. So Jesus provides. And in the next section, verse 16 through 20, you may have a title on there saying walking on water or Jesus walks on water. Now, John doesn't carry all the details that Matthew, Mark, and Luke about. There's a ton of other details. John doesn't care. He wants the statement that says, be still. He wants to clarify, not only does Jesus provide, but Jesus has authority. And it matches, if you read it, it matches what, what happens in the other gospels. You don't be afraid that these guys wrote something different. John just only included the thing that he thought was most important. was that Jesus walked on the water I said, don't be afraid. I'm sovereign over this. I have authority over this. And then verses 20 to 40, here's the problem. Jesus shows up in church. Man, I hate when that happens. I hate when Jesus, because when I come to church, I just want to hear a lesson that goes, you're very nice people. Go home and continue to be nice people. And Jesus never does that. He opens up the scripture and he lays stuff down. And one of the things he lays down here is the beginning of these statements we only find in John, where he says, I am Yahweh, the name of God. I am that I am. And one of the things that I am is the bread of life. I'm not only a provision, I'm not only able to do things with authority, but this is a declaration of his solemnity, the fact that he is it. No other options. I'm the thing that keeps you alive. I'm the firstborn over all creation. All things are made by me and through me, Jesus says, by saying, I'm the bread of life. You have to actually eat of my flesh to have life. And of course, if you've been in a church, everybody said amen and walked out. No, that's not what happens. Jesus concludes in verse 40, you can see it right there in your own Bible. This is a, a, a proto-Genesis kind of gospel. He shares the gospel in a different version. This is the will of the Father that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus is saying, this is who I am. I'm not just bread that's yummy and smells good. I'm not just bread that has some spices on it like the bread you'll have across the way today. I'm not just that. I am the bread, and if you want life, it comes through me. And on the last day, everything Pastor Craig will teach about these last days, these series, my response, Jesus says, is to be there. And it's the same belief that Job had. When Job said, I know that in my flesh, I will see my Savior. With my own eyes, I will see him. 
It's the same gospel throughout all of Scripture, from the oldest book, Job, to this new gospel. And the church people all say, that's not what they said. They all said bollocks. What? Look as you look down there. Verse 41 through 60 is Jesus talking to the church people and the church people rejecting him. Good theological reasons, good debate, good, good argument they had, but they weren't rejecting the idea. They were rejecting him. A public rejected. I don't, here's one of the hard lessons. Have you, ever, have you ever been embarrassed? Can you remember a time in school when you were embarrassed? That's like constancy in school. You look at the cute guy, he's waving, you wave at him, but he's really waving to his buddy behind you, you melt. Because I thought the cute guy was looking at me. That's a constancy. The worst thing you can do to a child is embarrass him. Fathers, take that lesson well. You can really have fun with that. Uh, embarrassing a, a high school or a middle school is the worst thing. They do not want to be publicly known that they have all the foibles that they know internally they have. They are not yet retired, so they do not yet care about being a fool in public. Some of you guys have hit that later. like, I'm retired. I'm good. I can be a fool as much as I want. Their hearts are still young, and they're like, I don't, whatever I want, I don't want people to make fun of me publicly. And Jesus has this public rejection where all the church people say, forget that. Everything you just said is so inspiring. Get out of here. That's a hard lesson. I remember missing a ball in a baseball game in elementary school. Sorry, teachers, I don't remember much about school teaching. <laughs> But I do remember jumping up for that ball off the second baseline and going for that ball and some kind of championship game where I would have gotten an award, probably this big, and missing the ball. And I remember the other time that when I redeemed myself, maybe years later, and I jumped up and I caught the ball and all the glory of the Lord was in that ball. But that doesn't mean I forgot the embarrassing, the public embarrassment of going, and the crowd was like, yay, oh. Well, that's great. I'll just die here on the field. I think that probably affected Jesus, but I think what affected him more was the verses we're going to look at today. The private rejection. The rejection of the people that followed him day and night and night and day. He didn't need to eat 5,000. They were eating together every day. So let's stand together and let's read from the Word of God this chapter 6 of John. I'm going to read from the 60th verse to the 69th verse and quickly walk through this hard, hard part of Jesus' life. When the disciples heard this, they said, this is a hard teaching. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, why do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said to them, 
This is why I told you that no one can come to the Father unless it's granted to him by the Father. After this, many of the disciples turned back and were no longer walking with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed and we've come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Let's pray about this. Father, we need your help. There's things that we haven't yet come to know. There's things in our faith we struggle with. Help us as we open your word, as we see the heart of Jesus and the hard truth of what happened here, that we would grow to know you and serve you in a way that's authentic and new. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. You may have a seat. I'm going to ask you a couple of hard questions. They may not be hard for you, but they're always hard for me. I'm not preaching at you, by the way. There are a number of sermons that I had lined up, and then halfway through the week, Jesus said, this is what you're preaching. Good luck with that. And uh, you're going to preach to yourself first, you know. And uh, here, here's the first question that I have for you. Are you somebody who's easily offended? In other words, do your feathers get ruffled, as my grandmother would say? Your feathers get ruffled. My wife is constantly entertained by all the chickens and livestock down in Key West. Uh, we have many picture encounters with chickens. And there's two types of chickens. There's one that looks like the normal chicken you would think you have at home. And then there's like the rooster, like the cockfighting chicken. And they walk around and everything's up all the time. They're like, what's up? All the time, always flared out. And then there's one they're like, that looks like a chicken. Why is he in the middle of the road? I'm going to hit him with my bike. Are you somebody that gets tipped off really quick? Newsflash, if you're in a relationship, one of you probably is. And the other one is the calming force around it. Here's a hard lesson, though, for those of you who get fired up really quick. Every once in a while, you'll get fired up, and you'll look around, and suddenly you'll realize no one cares, 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 cares. That's a hard lesson. There's a hard lesson when you are fired up about something and no one cares. It's an emotional test of your reaction. Look at verse 60. When many of the disciples heard what he said, they got fired up and they got offended. And they said, I'm not even going to listen to that. I'm not going to listen. That's not, not even stuff I need to listen to. I'm going to close the ears of my ears. And by the way, what happens next is you close the ears to your heart. And you become hard-hearted. And Jesus, knowing their reaction, says to them, oh, you take offense at this? Let me share something more offensive. You take offense that I'm the bread of life and I sustain you? What if I share with you the Son of God coming in his glory, not as friend and savior, but as king eternal, to whom every knee will bow and every tongue will confess? What if I see you coming, me coming on the great white throne in judgment of all creation? Does that offend you? Or are you just offended by me using a metaphor about bread? Emotions are hard, and pride is one of the hardest emotions. Pride is hard to move. Proverbs 18, 19 says, A brother offended is more unyielding than a city that's strong. Faith, though, is part of always growing past being offended. Romans chapter 9, verse 32 and 33 says this. Everybody in the Old Testament that didn't get it, is what he's referring to here. They didn't pursue it by faith. 
They did it based on their works. They've stumbled over a stumbling stone and that's written down. It says, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense. And whoever believes in him won't be put to shame. The problem is that's not a one-time thing where Jesus doesn't put up with people that are just offended. Uh, You can read in Matthew chapter 15, verses 12 to 14, that the disciples come up and they say, hey, do you know that what you just said offended the Pharisees? And Jesus responds in this way. Every plant that my father didn't put on the ground will get ripped up anyway. They're blind people, blind guides. Blind people lead blind people and they just fall into the pit. Ouch. Here's the question for you. Do you multiply your feelings or do you multiply the facts? People are highly emotional. They're quick to get offended. Proverbs 19.11 says this, good sense makes you slow to anger. And it's your glory when you overlook something when you're offended. Proverbs 19.11. Good sense doesn't mean you don't get angry, by the way. It means you get, you're slow to anger. And you know when God's glory shows in your life? When you have every reason to be offended and you just say, I'm going to overlook that. People who are offended have this natural habit. Look at verse 61. There's obviously a time break here because Jesus is sharing and it took enough time for the disciples to do what? Praise him? No, they started grumbling. People that are offended like to herd. When you get offended by something, it's not enough for you to say, this offends me. Maybe it's something Jesus is working on my heart. Maybe it's something that I have to deal with. Maybe it's something that I sh- truly should be offended by, but it's just something. Nope, what they like to do is they like to gather everyone around and they say this word, can you believe? Amen and amen. Because you're choosing to believe not according to the will of God. That maybe the sin in other people's lives that pours out on yours is an opportunity for ministry. You're choosing to believe that it's your time to judge other people. Can you believe that girl? Yes, I can, because she doesn't know Jesus. Can you believe that guy in traffic cut me off? Yes, I can, because all creation is calling out to be saved, including that guy's car. You are choosing to believe the offense rather than choosing that God can work through the offense. And you see here, Jesus just ups the ante and says, if you're going to build your life based on multiplying fear rather than multiplying facts, I'm going to give another offense to you and another offense to you until I break you of that habit. You just keep failing and failing and failing until you definitely at the end say, Jesus, I need some help here. So here's the question as you raise your family, as you share with your friends, are you teaching them to not react when their pride is poked? And do your habits, do you multiply wounds with your mouth when you get offended? The disciples needed to work through this truth that Jesus wasn't just their buddy, but eventually he was going to share with them that he's the sovereign Lord of all creation that was coming back not 
with the gospel, with justice, and with power. And he gave it to him soft. I'm like bread, you need me. They got offended by it. And he's like, oh, there's bigger truths you're going to get offended by. I got a tuxedo. I'm so ready to be married. That tuxedo does not make you ready to be married. That girl is so hot, we should probably get engaged. Just because she's hot doesn't mean you should marry her. I'm right in this situation. I should tell my boss, ooh, ah, try that. Here's a second hard question that comes out of it. Sometimes it's, it's hard to figure out if you're easily offended. The second thing that comes out, especially for believers, is are you desperately cynical? Have you seen enough and you're just, you're just cynical? You're like, you know what? Let it all burn. Let it all burn. I've seen sin so much, I'm just done with it. Sometimes you look around and nobody cares, but other times you look around and nobody helps. Social media is full of people that are just crying out for help, just crying out for help, sharing their emotions, saying, I'm struggling with this. And the great vastness of all of social media goes, cricket, cricket, cricket. That brings us to this next section of Scripture. Verse 64 and 65, 63, the whole way through there. Look at the bottom part of that, verse 64. Jesus said, there's some of you who don't believe. And then it says this, Jesus knew from the beginning those who didn't believe and who it was who would betray him. And he said, you can't come to me unless it's a gift from the Father. I personally believe this is not doctrinally anything, but I think John of the, of the people was most affected by his personal relationship with Jesus. And therefore, probably after the resurrection, he, he was sitting with him and saying, man, man, Judas, that kind of stunk, didn't it? Judas just flat out betraying you. And uh, Jesus goes, no, I knew about that. What about Peter? Did you hear Peter like totally denied you? Yeah, I knew that was going to happen. Are you so cynical that you don't invest in people even if the percentages of them changing are low? Then you may be not about kingdom work. We came in yesterday afternoon. I was unloading stuff, and I saw walking down the street a bunch of hooligans. I'm like, oh, man, there's some rough kids. Man, dude, I better lock my car while I'm going in and out. They may steal stuff out of the car. And then halfway down the alley, guess what they did? They all waved at me. Hey, Pastor Sean. Half of my roughneck basketball guys from Friday night. And suddenly, Jesus went, oh, you stink so bad. Because guess what? They know your name, and you didn't know their name. You just know those are guys most likely to get a tech on Friday night. Most likely to get a tech for swearing or for playing gorilla basketball instead of regular basketball. They walk down the street and go, oh, man, those are some rough kids. I better lock all my great possessions because God possibly couldn't provide things for me or protect me. Now, needless to say, we haven't had our car stole multiple times because Jesus thinks he's funny. Um, it's like, you're in ministry. I'm going to show you you need me. Um, they walk down. They're like, hey, Pastor Sean. I'm like, hey, I'm a loser. I'm so cynical that I can't imagine a bunch of teenagers walking in the middle of the day having a great conversation down the street might just be friends. They're obviously out to get me. And therefore, my ministry line stops right there. Well, I can't serve them. There's risk involved. 
and yet they know my name. I was not winning for Jesus. I'm so cynical. And that's where Jesus says at the top, listen, the things I'm handing out are spiritual truths, and sometimes your flesh doesn't help. Paul says this in Romans chapter 7, I know that nothing good dwells in me that's my flesh, my body, my action, my culture. I desire to do what's right, but I don't have the ability to pull it off. This is Paul, the man who planted churches and filled most of the New Testament. And his base theology is nothing about me works. I know what I want to do, but I can't do it. Is your walk in the church so built on your own self-sufficiency that you can't see the ability to mentor someone who you know may not make it? Because that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus knew they would walk away. He still invested at least a year, maybe two years in them. This is later in his ministry. He invested at least a year, maybe two years in them so he could hand them a truth that they would struggle with and let them make the choice to walk away. I don't know if I can invest in this person because I don't know that they may not get it and they're sloppy and they're messy and they offend me and I have my life together and it's a nice little shell and it smells good and everything's great about it. Jesus says, that's so great. Did I mention you're one of the 99 that I'm going to walk away with? Say, see ya, to save the one that's lost. So glad you have it all together and you're so burnt out and cynical that you'd rather see the world burn than be a part of saving it. Relationships matter. People matter. And that brings us to the last two verses. Last four verses here. After that, many of the disciples turned around and walked away. Do you imagine that? They just walked away. And you can read verse 67 with all authority, but I think Jesus was really struggling with it. And he said, Do you want to go away too? Do you want to leave me too? Is that how it ends? Because Jesus, by the way, knew how it would end. He knew he'd be on the cross by himself with only John and his mother there. So he's asking a question of them, not about the facts, but about their heart. Are you so burnt out and so tired Are you so offended by so many things? Are you just going to walk away? I don't know if you know this or not, but I can be occasionally offensive. I seem like such a lovely guy. I have seen in this church multiple times where believers have struggled with something whose source was me and they don't run away. They may struggle with it for a week or two. They may work it through, but they come back and they say, oh my gosh, can I work this through? Just like it says in Matthew chapter five, if you're offering a gift at the altar and remember somebody has something against you, just leave the gift. Go be reconciled with your brother. Then come back and give something to God. Or Matthew 18, if your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault, but between the two of you. So you gain the brother. And I've seen that over and over again with people. They don't just get offended and be like, you know what? I'm not even going to do this anymore. 
Because by the way, we're past capitalism now. Capitalism where you do something, I buy it from you. Now we're consumerism. What do you have for me? What do you have? Oh, I don't like that. I don't, even if it's true, I just, I don't want that. And we do the same thing with faith. And we do the same thing with struggles. Instead of staying and being redeemed, we run and come to our own ruin. And Jesus says, is, is this the time? Where are your heart at? Are you going to leave me as well? Knowing fully well they would. That it was just him and the cross. And Peter is a Goomba. He, he does not get things right. But once in a while he nails it. And he says this. To whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. We have believed. That's the easy part. I hope you have that today. That you know who Jesus is as your Savior and Lord. And we've come to know that's the rest of it. That's why you're here, working out your faith with fear and trembling. We have believed that you're the Holy One of God. That's nice. That's facts. But we've come to know by being upset at our boss and praying about it instead of yelling about it, by crying about that friend who's going downhill that we still love and we still interact rather than trying to fix them, by having our power be our spiritual force, not our physical force. We've come to know you and me forever, Jesus. To whom could I go? That's the third hard question. Not only are you kind of the person that quickly gets offended and then your mouth goes off, you try to get a group behind you and try and get this whole group and maybe it'll happen. Instead of you growing, you just want to multiply the anger. And not only that you, some of us are probably cynical and going, you know what, I don't, I don't even care anymore. Let these people just burn themselves down. I'm not going to get in there and risk myself and actually know their names and care about them and feed them and love them. The third part is when it comes to it, will you stay? When hard stuff comes in your life, is it a time for redemption where the first thing you do is hit your knees? There's a time for rejection where you say, this is just too hard. Peter got it. He's like, where else am I going to go? It is Jesus and Jesus only. It's Jesus and Jesus only. What about your marriage? How do you stay together? Jesus and Jesus only. Sometimes he's working on me. Sometimes he's working on her. Sometimes we're working on that together. Jesus and Jesus only. How do you do your job? Jesus and Jesus only. How do you pay these bills with your checking account looking like that? I don't know. Jesus and Jesus only. He doesn't have to multiply fish. Sometimes he multiplies dollars. Jesus shared the gospel. It's the will of the Father that you would come to know me and the last day I would rise you up. Everybody rejects him publicly, privately. And then he sat down with the 12 people he loved and invested in the most and said, are you gonna go? I gotta be honest. There are days where you're gonna feel like it's time to go. 
when you feel like it's great, pump-up sermons really encourage me, but the day-to-day faith makes me want to give up. You have to have this mantra in your life that Peter says, to whom am I going to go? Jesus, you are life. And I not only believe that, but every day, in every single way, I come to know it a little bit more and a little bit more. When I'm offended, I dig deep and say, I wonder what God's doing here. When I get cynical, I put Jesus' eyes on and saying, stop looking at people like they're just ruffians walking down the street. Maybe they're people that need to be saved. And when I feel like running, I choose to stay. Let's pray together. We'll have someone down front here to pray with you as well as we close our service today. As the students head across the way to the fellowship hall to help with that meal, I'd encourage you to meet with them as they're over there helping and serving the ladies that have been cooking all morning and taking care of them. Um, But I'd encourage you to have this moment with you and Jesus only and ask him where your heart is. Father, there are times where we have to determine what our flesh is doing rather than having our flesh tell us what to do. Help us in those times to choose praise. That we say you're the one who is the story of our life. You're the one who receives not only the glory, but the authority to do what you're doing. Help us today to maybe hand over you those things that just drive us nuts about the sin in the world. We can't handle it. It offends us so much. And trust that if you're God, you're doing even more than that. You're working in those places. Help some of us that are burnt out and we don't know if we can do anything in this world that's so broken to own the mission that you called us to. And Lord, today, help those of us who feel like giving up to never, ever, ever give up on you and your name. Bless us even as we close in worship glorifying you that you will be the one to whom we go. Pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.